The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 28. Uh, if you're new here this morning, or if you weren't here last week, we started a brand new series called Ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church. And some of you guys may have been in church for a long period of time, and you're like, wow, this is sort of a fundamental elementary series that we're walking through. And uh, I believe that um, in, in, in church, we can do what we do frequently and often and habitually, and sometimes forget why it is that we even do it. And so we we are pressing towards some things in the life of our church here over the next few months, and this series is foundational and fundamental um, to us as a body, trying to figure out what is the church, and last week we defined that. What is the church? The church is a regular gathering of people who continually conform into the image of Christ by listening and following the scriptures so that the glory of God is seen by each other in the world. That's how we defined the church last week, and so this week we move into a different question though similar, and the answer to last week and this week is very similar. But the question we want to put before us today is, what is the mission of the church? Like, like what are we here to do? Why are we even here? And so I think it's going to be good for us today. I think the answer to this question is related to the answer to the question last week. And so last week we said, um, that a disciple brings glory to God by listening and following the scriptures. And the answer to the question today, what is the mission of the church, is very similar to that answer in bringing glory to God. But the question is that we really need to press into together is, but how do we do that? How do we bring glory to God as a body of Christ. So there's some similarities between last week and this week, but the way we're going to press into that this morning and the way we're going to answer the question, what is the mission of the church, is we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, some of the last things that Jesus ever said. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to put it on the screens. If you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one after the service. Let me pray for our time together, and we're going to jump right in. Jesus, this is your word. God, I pray that you would take this time and make it fruitful and productive in each of our lives. And so, God, I pray that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hands and feet to move in the direction that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The question before us is, what is the mission of the church? Now, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. And then the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, but when they saw them, these are the disciples who had spent time with Jesus when they had saw him, they worshipped him. But listen to what verse 17 says. I love that this is here. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But listen what happened. But some doubted. I, I just, as an aside, I love that this is in this passage, right? Because uh, there are some people who... who um, want to listen to what scripture says, but not follow what the scripture says. There are even some who will say, I can't believe the scriptures because they're not accurate. I can't believe the scriptures because they're not true. I can't believe the scriptures simply because they cannot be believed. But what we have here is we have people who have followed Jesus. They have ate with Jesus. They have laughed with Jesus. They have cried with Jesus. They have hugged Jesus. And when they finally see Jesus completing what he came to do as he's ascending into heaven, we have some of them who say, yeah, I'm just not sure. I just don't know. 
And so I love that it's here. Like if the disciples are trying to run a scam here, like if they're trying to create something and, and, and achieve some sort of political power, why even put that in there, right? I love that this is in the scripture. And there's some people who say, I need to see Jesus do miracles in my life. I need him to heal my cancer. I need him to solve my relational. I need him to solve my financial issues. But the Bible is filled with Jesus doing miraculous things and people still did not believe. But there's another reason why I love that this is included in verse 17. There are people who walk with Jesus, love Jesus, hug Jesus, laugh with Jesus, and they doubted. And the reason why I love that is because of what Jesus is about to say. I love that this is in here, that there were some who saw Jesus and walked with him and doubted Jesus because there are some, there's a percentage of people who are convinced that what Jesus is about to say in the remainder of the passage is valuable but there's a percentage of people who will read what Jesus is about to say and say, even though it's valuable, it's just not compelling to me. I think there are churches all over the world that are filled with people who give mental agreement to what Jesus is about to say, but practically living it out is an entirely different story. I want to believe, and I believe scripture is true, that some of those who doubted here in Matthew chapter 28 were people who by the spirit of the living God in their life were people who changed and lived what he's about to say. Now, let's see if that's going to be true of you today. Verse 18, this is what Jesus said. And Jesus came up and he spoke to them and he said, this sounds very familiar, by the way. How many of you guys, this is a familiar passage. This is a very familiar passage to many of you this morning. And Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now think about what's happened here for just a moment. As, we, as, as this whole scene plays out and Jesus has walked with people for three years, we've watched Jesus calm storms. We've watched Jesus raise people from the dead. We've, we've watched Jesus heal sick people. We've watched Jesus cast demons out of a pig. We've watched Jesus curse a fig tree and it wilts. We've watched Jesus turn two gluten-free loaves of bread and two sockeye salmon because Jesus was not a vegetarian into enough food to feed 5,000 people. Like we've watched Jesus do, and I'm serious, all of these things, right? And so listen to me, if Jesus has the authority to be the architect of the entire universe, like to the minutia of all details that we see and how the world functions, if Jesus has the authority to be the architect of everything we know, then listen to me, whatever he says next is going to happen. Whatever he says next, if he says, all authority has been given to me, I'm about to give to you. Whatever he says next does not matter because it's going to happen. Let's see what he says is going to happen. Verse 19, this is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I want to pause there just for a moment. Way back in Genesis chapter 15, God established this covenant community whereby he said, my glory is going to be displayed in this covenant community. At that time, they were known as the Jews. By the time we get to the New Testament, we see that God has expanded this covenant community, and it includes every tribe, every tongue, Every people. And so once we get to the New Testament, we have this guy named John the Baptist. He shows up on the scene and he announces that this new covenant community should be about the business of God and displaying the glory of God through them. Now, Jesus says, 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I'm gonna, there's a, this, this whole passage is loaded, and every single word needs to be parsed and understood. But let me pause for a moment on this idea of nations. I've got this theological conviction. I've got this theological conviction that the end of the world, how Scripture explains it, and there are differences in how it's going to happen, but my theological conviction about how the end of the world will begin to be consummated, according to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, includes the preaching of the gospel to every tribe tongue, and nation. Every people group around the world, as I read scripture, will have a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I believe the church has a global, the global church, all of us, not just this church, all of us have a responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the world, to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. I believe we need to pray for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. I believe we need to use our resources and and praise God, a percentage of every dollar you give every Sunday morning goes to support missionaries around the world who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I, I personally, just as a side note, those people who go to the ends of the earth, they're some of my heroes. There's some of the people that I love reading about in history. Now listen to me. When we read the New Testament, we see people like Paul. We see people like Barnabas. We see people like Silas. We see people like John Mark who God has equipped, raised up, and called out to go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. There are people like my wife and I's friends, Jesse and Shaney, who serve in East Asia with the gospel. There are people like the Lanfords, who stayed in our house last fall, who are serving people with the gospel in South Asia. But listen to me for a moment, okay? Now, now, if you thought I was about to ask everybody to be a missionary, just hold on for a second, all right? Not everybody has that calling. Not everybody has the Paul, Barnabas, Silas, John, Mark calling on their, idea, on their life. But in Matthew chapter 28, there is an idea that's built in that includes all of us going. The word go has this idea. As you are going. Verse 19 says, go therefore. But the correct way of understanding that is not, not, not necessarily like we push you out to your neighborhood or, or we push you out to your job or we push you out to plant a church in West L.A. or we push you out to go somewhere specifically. The idea is that as you are going through normal, everyday life, make disciples. Here's what I believe. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, every single one of us have been uniquely wired by God with specific gifts, specific talents, specific abilities. Some of you guys are extraordinarily creative. That's why you moved to LA. Some of you are administrative. Some of you are organized. Some of you are visionaries. Some of you are leaders. Some of you are supporters. Some of you are organizers. All of us in this room have a unique gifting according to scripture. Now listen to me. Your unique gifting is coupled with a unique placing according to Acts chapter 17 Verse 26, the Bible says God has ordained. He has established the boundaries of your habitation. In other words, if you thought you just moved to L.A. because you were young and you wanted to pursue a dream, I want to say to you that God established that boundary. He put you here, and he put you here with your unique placing coupled with your unique gifting for a very specific reason. 
Now, let me tell you what my unique placing is. I live in a neighborhood in Magnolia Park down in Burbank. And in my neighborhood, there are people that God has put around us. There are people that we are able to live among. There are people in our neighborhood who, according to the plan of God, and that plan involves me, as I'm going to my neighborhood, I am to make disciples. Now listen to me. That means as I'm standing in the front yard with Tony. That means as I'm sitting on the front porch with Uncle Barry. That means as we are taking a meal to um, our friends down the street who just found out they have cancer. That means as we are walking with our kids going to school. As we are going, God says you've been uniquely equipped. You've been uniquely placed for this very specific reason. As you go to those places, you are to make disciples. Now look, my son, he's nine years old. He may be in here this morning. He plays flag football. He plays baseball. Um, I I was a decent athlete. I was offered a scholarship to play baseball in college. My son's great-grandfather played professional baseball. Um, And maybe one day Deacon will get a scholarship to play baseball, and and that would be awesome. Um, But if he's anything like his mom, he's probably going to spend a lot of his life reading books. But listen to me. Ultimately, scholarships... And by the way, playing baseball and playing football and fly, they're, they're good for team building stuff. It's good to learn how to operate amongst a group of people. And all of those things are good things. Even trying to figure out if, if you're good enough to have a scholar, those are good things. But ultimately, that's not why we play baseball. Listen to me, that's not why we play flag football. Because, listen to me, baseball like my unique placing in my neighborhood, is an expression of the mission of God as we are going to play baseball and to play flag football with the hope of making disciples. And we fail miserably at doing it. But listen to me. The lens through which we filter our life and the places we go is this idea of making disciples. So now listen to me. What does Jesus mean by this idea of making disciples? He says there in verse 19, go therefore, make disciples, a very important part of this process. Can I just take a moment to try to explain to you what Jesus means here? Jesus does not mean make converts who pray a prayer and fill out a card and come down for prayer. Jesus doesn't mean uh, get to the point where people think Jesus is cool or they agree to be morally conservative or socially liberal, whichever Jesus you have in your mind. There is one thing and one thing only that every church must do well. And if we don't do it well, We really don't have a right to call ourselves a church. The one thing we must do well is to make disciples. This week I had uh, a lot of conversations and meetings around this property that we have in downtown Burbank that we're excited at some point when it all comes together to tell you what's going on. We've withheld it because we didn't want to jump the gun. But at some point, we're going to have to raise money to build an auditorium and and create spaces. And we can spend time raising money and and building buildings. We could spend time uh, putting together a worship album that makes Spotify happy. I I could spend 30 hours a week prepping for a sermon. I, I could write books and devotionals. We could build the greatest kids and student ministry in the world. But listen to me. If we don't make disciples... We fail at what we're doing. 
We must make disciples. It's the core of the mission of the church. Now listen to me. It's what we do as a church. It's what we do as a church. But listen to me. It's also the central element of what you do as an individual Christian. There's this idea that I'm paid and Tyler's paid and Chris is paid and Sherry's paid and Madison's paid and, and we are paid to do that sort of thing. But listen to me, it's the central element of what you do as an individual Christian as well. Now listen to what's happening here in this passage. Making disciples is the controlling verb in this passage. But there are three other ideas that surround this idea and concept of making disciples. We call them participles. In other words, they participate in the activity of this primary verb. Those three participles are going, we've already talked about it, baptizing, which we're going to baptize next month. I believe it's one of the first and most crucial steps of obedience when you become a believer. The third is teaching, the going, the baptizing, the teaching. They're all part of these elements of making disciples. There was a guy named Robert Coleman. 60, 70 years ago, he wrote a book in the 60s called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It's considered a classic book, which means probably nobody has read it, okay? And so Robert Coleman said this in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. The Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize a lot of converts into the name of the triune God, nor to teach them the precepts of Christ, but to make disciples, to build men like themselves who were so constrained by the commission of Christ that they not only followed Jesus themselves, but they led others to follow him too. Now, it's in this very line of thinking that we have all of these different models of church. Now, bear with me just for a moment. Let me, let me try to portray what Scripture says is a true biblical church. There are all of these models of church that take this idea of disciple-making, and they craft their churches around, and we craft our churches around some of these concepts, one or two or multiple ones, hopefully. There are some churches who are introduction churches. And those churches make it their aim to see people come to, know, come to faith in Christ. A lot of times those churches don't go beyond that moment of coming to faith in Christ. We call them introduction churches. Then there are indoctrinating churches. They sort of feel like maybe an insider's club, maybe a, a seminary class. There are elements of the introduction churches, indoctrinating churches that are all good and well. Sometimes indoctrinating churches struggle with the idea of introducing people to Jesus. But listen, but a biblical church, what Jesus is talking about here is an integration of both of those concepts, and we call it a disciple-making church. And so the, the criteria for how we are successful hinges on, it hinges on this one concept. It's not how many people showed up. It's not how big our budget is. It's not even how many people came to faith in Christ. It's not how many people we baptize. What heaven celebrates is disciples. Now, let me bear down on this idea for a moment and understand this. The great commission that Jesus is talking about here, it's not just this, this corporate mission statement, if you will, for the institutional church. Like, this is what, this is what God expects of the institutional church. And, like, like, we're just, like, ancillary components of it. Like, we'll give dollars so they can do it, or we'll, we'll serve in kids' ministry a little bit so they can do it. Listen, I don't want you to take this idea of the mission of the church and believe that this is institutional mission statement. Listen to me. 
Listen, the institution is not solely responsible for making disciples. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is commissioned with this same mission. And this is where we come back to those who doubt it in verse 17. Now listen to me. There are two fundamental concepts and components of a person who is a disciple and the making of a disciple. First is this. People don't become disciples without proclamation. Understand what I'm saying here. People don't become disciples without proclamation. At some point, disciple making always involves telling people about Jesus. you got to have a faithful presence. Listen to me. Don't misunderstand me. You need to be faithfully present in people's lives. But we are not hoping that people are just going to become morally different because they saw us not cursing or not having a beer at dinner. We just don't hope that people change morally because they see how we live. We don't just hope that people are going to be like, wow, I see that t-shirt you're wearing. you got to tell me more about it. We're not just hoping that people are going to catch something based on how we live. You eventually have to open up your mouth. If a disciple is going to be made, there must be proclamation that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. Now, different people do it different ways. We have people in our church who do it confrontationally. They'll go down. They'll meet people in the street corner. That's the way you do it. That's the way you do it. We have people that do it relationally, and that's my preferred way of doing it, where, we, where God has placed us in a neighborhood. We're building relationships with people in our sphere of influence. Some people use tracks. Some people use way of the master. However you do it, at some point, if you're going to make a disciple, you must get to the gospel. And I believe there are a few things that reveal where our heart is with Jesus more than how much we're willing to talk about Jesus. Now, there's a second component of this disciple-making process. The first part is the proclamation of the gospel. The second part is this idea of movement and maturity. And how does this movement and maturity come about? Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, So the church is about proclamation. The church is also about this idea of maturity. And without maturity and without proclamation, we cannot say we are making disciples because maturity says people are being transformed into people that grow, people that know, people that go, people that are becoming more like the image of Christ. John chapter 15, verse 8, this is how Jesus said it. Jesus said in John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Listen to me. Where are we going as a church? We are going in the direction of movement and maturity in your life because a disciple is one who observes what Christ teaches. Listen, if you're not obeying what Christ teaches, you, you need to come to this point where you question whether or not you are a disciple. Listen, things that are alive grow. Things that are potent multiply. I have a friend who bought a house in Florida, and as the, it was a brand new house, and they were building it. And as the home builder was building the house, they got to the, to the roof, um, and there was a storm that came, and the home builder forgot to 
cover the roof as they're building the house. And so the rain came. They had already built the walls, and it rained all in the interior of the house. After it rained and after the storm passed, they put the roof on the house without, um, without addressing the issue of the drywall in the ceiling and in the walls being damp and wet. You know the rest of the story, don't you? You know what happened. What happened? The entire house became filled with mold. Things that are potent, things that are potent, not just grow, things that are potent, they multiply. And I want to say to us this morning, if we're not interested in the depth of a disciple, as much as we are interested in the width of our church, we are operating outside of the given mission of the church. So when we talk about the depth of a disciple, We're talking about engaging you with the holiness of God, a big word, an old church word that they used to write books about 150 years ago that we don't talk about often. It's obeying Christ. And so the goal cannot simply be more people who simply find Jesus or have been found by Jesus. The goal is people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel. That's why when we talk about what a church is, we talk about membership here in a few weeks, we talk about what a church is, that's why we talk about this idea of accountability and authority and humbly holding each other accountable for sin in our members. Because when something is not right, the membership, the body needs to say, this does not glorify God. And so every church needs to be concerned about the holiness of its people. Why, Pastor Matt? Why? This is concept that I don't have time for today, but we're going to get into it in a brand new series here next month in the book of Philippians that we're calling Uncommon Joy. And it's this concept that our greatest joy is found in the glory of God being displayed in our lives. And I don't have time to talk about it today, although I wish I did. But I just want to say to you that a church needs to be concerned about people who find Jesus, but people who also follow Jesus. Now, let's close this thing out in verse 20. Verse 20 says, how do, we, how do we mature and how do we move? It's by teaching people to observe all that I commanded. Now, listen to the last part of verse 20. Jesus says, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And this is Jesus completing what he started in the very first part of this passage when he says, all authority has been given to me. And now that all authority has been given to me, I am passing it on to you. And whatever he says he's passing on is going to come to fruition. Where is Jesus with you? Jesus is with you as you are going to the very routine of your life, making disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Listen to me. Just look at me real quick. Let's be a church that's all about what God is about. Let's be a church that's about what God is about. I have pastor friends who I love dearly. I've had these conversations in the past and how they're concerned that they want the entire fellowship to to rise to this place of equal spirituality and equal obedience and equal understanding before they even want other people to, to come into the fold of the church. And 
I, I think of that and I think that's not what scripture says. We will never be the same. We are all at different life stages spiritually. Some are babies, some are mature, some are adolescents, but we will always be growing. That's the essence of sanctification. When Hebrews says you are perfected, you are perfect at once because of what Jesus did. But the last part of the verse in Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, but you are also being sanctified. Though you stand perfect before God, now you are growing into his likeness. And in this fellowship and in this body, there will be people who are on both ends of the spectrum. And why does that matter? Because here's why it matters. Because sometimes we look at people and we're like, well, the people that God calls into ministry must be the summa cum laude of every church. Like, like God just raise up the best, like the top 5%, and let's send them out. And so we have this concept, this hierarchy of disciple making. Like if you're a baby, you don't make disciples. You get discipled and you never invest back into somebody else. If you're mature, you spend all of your time being poured into. And I want to break that concept wide open and say wherever you are in the process, we all should be about what God is about and that's making disciples that's who we should be as a church so let me summarize the mission of the church according to what Jesus has said here in Matthew chapter 28 it's not just the mission of the global church I want to say to you this is the mission of Story City Church and I'm all for being creative and we're in a creative city nothing proves it more than the bumper video that our team puts together every single series we're in a creative city but I, let's just communicate what it is that God has called us here to do. It's what God has called every church around the globe to do. And we don't need to be creative or, or, to be, or to be relevant because this mission statement is relevant. The mission of the church is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what we are here to do. Now, let me end with this and close by saying this. I don't want to leave you with this generic concept of what does it look like to be a disciple maker. I want to conclude just for a minute and we'll be done. With this idea and how you, not just the church, but how you, and you can pray for us as we pray for you, as we're a very young church in our city praying about how God would have us organize and structure and and lean in towards this idea corporately as we're praying for you, how you will lean into this idea individually. Let me just give you some practical things and how you can participate in this process of disciple making. How you can become a disciple maker. Number one, you start where you are. You start where you are. A lot of people would just assume if you love Jesus, like if you love Jesus more than most, God's gonna call you to be a pastor or a missionary. That's not true. Listen to me. Listen to me, seriously, because I, I promise you there are mothers in this room each week that watch the church and observe the church and they think, how do I participate in the lifeblood of the church? God has called some people to be mothers, called some people to be actors, called some people to be consultants, some people to be car washers, some people to be teachers, some people to be real estate agents. Listen to me. And your mission in life is to do what God has called you to do well. You're like, Pastor Matt, I'm not doing what I ultimately want to do. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Are you going to waste the season God has you in now? I was a server in a janky restaurant for two and a half years while I was in seminary. Do you know what? It wasn't a pass-through until I got to the place where I could eventually make the side. It was the place where God had placed me to do what he has called me to do well, to live out his mission. You're like, I'm a server in a restaurant. 
I'm driving Uber until I get to the place where God wants me to be. You need to start where you are. And don't, dis, don't, don't ignore the place, the unique place that God has placed you. You never met my father. He died in 1999, and he was one of my heroes. My dad was a pastor, although vocationally, he was a mechanic. <laughs> uh, he preached some. Um, he was involved in a church, but he was never given the title of a pastor. What he did for his entire life was he was a mechanic. He, he fixed cars, he towed cars, he sold cars. What he really did was he pastored people. And so for 45 years of my father's life and my grandparents' life, they owned this station. And it wasn't a week that you came into that station where you didn't hear about Jesus being talked about. My grandmother literally shared the gospel every single day. She, she prayed for people. The business was intentionally relational. And as a young guy who sort of has an entrepreneurial mind, I always question, why do we do it this way? Why, why are we not doing it this way as opposed to this way? We could simplify and be more profitable. But, but we intentionally, they intentionally chose to do some things that caused relationships to be built. In other words, they never installed credit cards at the pump. Believe it or not, I know you're like, wow, does that exist? Yes, it does. They never put credit card. Uh, you couldn't pay at the pump. Why? Because you had to come in. You had to see Kate Lawson's face who would smile and pray for you and talk about Jesus. I know this is also foreign. We also had full service. You could drive up and somebody would pump your gas, typically me, all right? And we would wash your windows, check your tires. But the entire time it was meant intentionally to be relational. Why? Because my grandparents and my father, praise God for the heritage. They wanted to know you. Why? Because they believe God put them corner of 710 Whitman Street in Orangeburg, South Carolina to be pastors and missionaries who happen to be mechanics. So when my dad died, it was an auditorium filled with hundreds and hundreds of people who were customers and disciples. People impacted by the proclamation and the ministry of the gospel in a service station. Listen to me. Start where you are. Your vocation. Listen. Your vocation is your primary platform for disciple-making. It is. I know it's so difficult in this city to think, if I live for Jesus, I won't get work. I'll be branded. They won't call me into this place of, of, of work. Listen to me. Your vocation is your primary platform for disciple-making. We even have a person on our staff, Sherry. We hired her with this intention, knowing that in about a year, she's preparing and planning to move to London, to move to London, to get a regular job and to use her job and her vocation as a platform for disciple making. If you're gonna be a disciple maker, you gotta start where you are. Start where you are. The second thing, and I'm almost done, you need to understand the method that Jesus employed. The method that Jesus employed was life on life. It would be great. And it would release us from a lot of time and energy and effort if Jesus instituted disciple-making by way of preaching to the masses, right? That would be awesome. But that's not what he did. It was life on life. That means you need to open up your life. I know it. I know exactly what you're thinking. I love my free time. I love my free time too. You need to open up your life and live it with people. One thing we love as Americans is free time. 
But disciple making requires this budget of time with and for others. So open it up. Can I say this to you? There is evangelistic power in hospitality. Can I just give you a few suggestions in this idea of life on life? You eat, most of us, 21 meals a week. I eat 14 because I don't eat breakfast every day. You eat 21 meals, some of you eat more, some of you eat a few less. What if you considered using one to three of them for the purpose this week of spending intentional relational time with a neighbor or a coworker? Secondly, can I give you this thought? What if you invited three people over or out for dinner? You're like, that sounds good, but let me press in on you this week. This week. I have found this to be true. People in Los Angeles are desperate for friendship. Tim Chester, who wrote this book, Everyday Missionary, said, evangelism is doing normal life with gospel intentionality. Last thing on this idea of life on life. Are there three people in your life today? I I really want to press in because if we just leave it sort of everybody's responsibility, it's nobody's responsibility. Are there three people in your life today that don't know Jesus that you will call, not this week, today? Today, I'm pressing in on you today. Today, to intentionally spend time with them this week. Because here's the deal, it doesn't matter if you know the mission of God, if you doubt it and you don't do something with it. Last thing and then I'm done. Get a plan, just have a plan. What if somebody actually said, yeah, I'll meet with you. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. Now what do I do? Invite them to read the scripture. Start in John. Read a chapter at a time. Invite them to church. Invite them to your community group. Now, let me close and we'll be done. Robert Coleman, who wrote Master Plan of Evangelism, said that a barren Christian is a contradiction. In other words, a Christian that does not produce fruit is a contradiction. and It's not what scripture calls a disciple. I think it's vital that you have a right understanding about what a church does. Otherwise, church simply becomes about you, what we should have. The Bible studies we should offer. Everything is about you. It's not about the mission. It's about you. You say, Matt, you and the staff, you go do what God has asked me to do. You raise my children biblically. You share the gospel with my buddies. You meet with all these people for discipleship. You get paid to do it. You do it. If we don't engage in the mission of God, it simply means that what we think is happening here is ultimately about ourselves. You think, man, God is, should be so grateful to have me attending this church. Doesn't he recognize what I bring to the table? Imagine what would happen here if I wasn't here. God, you know, I'm such a valuable part of this thing that, that, that I'm so valuable that, that, that I know you would hate to lose me. So can we just drop this separate contract from what you're asking most of us to do, all of us to do, so that I can still exist and not participate? There's this idea of constant inflow coming into a person's life with no outflow. There's a physical reality that we can describe that as, and that's called the Dead Sea. There's inflow in your life and no outflow. You have the potential to be a Dead Sea? Who can you point to who's growing up in the faith because of you? Now, for those of you in this room this morning who are not believers, some of you, it makes you nervous. You're like, great. Somebody in this room is going to ask me 
to talk about Jesus at some point in my life. The sad reality is you have a very good chance of no Christian in your entire life ever approaching you about it. And for that, I want to apologize this morning. If you're a non-Christian this morning, you're just sort of checking out church, a family member brought you, just showed up, I just want to say to you, I want to apologize if no one has ever engaged you with the gospel. Let me tell you why. Because there's a problem between you and God as you currently stand. The problem is called sin, and the people in this room who know Jesus know the solution to that problem. And I apologize, we've never told you about it. And so I pray this morning as you come, as you lean in, as you listen, you'd lean in more to hear that Jesus is responsible for you. He created you. God loves you, John 3.16. There's a problem between you and him as you currently stand, Romans 3.23. The problem is never solved. There's death both in this life and the next, but God solved the problem on our behalf, and that solution was Christ on the cross for us, that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Turn from your sins. John 1.12 says you have the right to become a child of God. If you've never engaged with that this morning, we call that the gospel. And that's the introduction to finding and being found by Jesus. Let me pray for us this morning as a church and those of you who may be apart from Jesus. Lord, thank you for this morning together. God, we're grateful for the scriptures. God, I... I pray that we would be a church that's about what you are about, Lord. God, help us individually, not just corporately, believe that, that we have this corporate idea of bringing people to find and follow you. But God, would you make it personal to all of us in this room this morning? Would we be about your business, your mission, which is making disciples? God, let that be true of us. Would you find us faithful in that mission today? God, I pray as we've ended this morning. Some very direct action, implication, application. God, I pray there be people in this room. God, there will be people that will slip out and forget what was said five minutes ago. But Jesus, I pray there will be some in this room who will take direct action today to invite people into this process of life on life, coming to know you, growing up in you, Lord, maturing and moving towards you. May that be who we are as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.